0: Okay, so we'll be reading from Ephesians 6, the whole chapter. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you you, and you may live long on the earth. And your fathers and fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, and sincerity of heart, as to Christ, not with eye service, as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord, and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free and you masters do the same things to them giving up threatening knowing that your master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him
1: finally my brethren be strong in the lord and in the power of his might put on the whole armor of god which may be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers Against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shied your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith for which I am an ambassador in chains that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak but that you also may know how my affa- may, may know my affairs and how I am doing take a kiss a beloved brother and faithful minister in the lord will make all things known to you whom i have sent to you for this very purpose that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen.
2: Thank you, Avery and Isaac, for reading the Word this morning. You know, as a dad, it's a joy to have uh, your sons read the Word and, I, and even in your home, you know, as you're in your home and you have opportunity to have sons, daughters, children, etc., just to read the word, um, it's a joy. It's really a joy. And pray that as they read, they are not just reading words, but they are desiring to hear from the Lord as they themselves read this word. It's a life-giving word, church. I pray we would receive it as such this morning. I'm going to ask, if you would, to join me in a word of prayer. And then we're going to begin our study here in Ephesians 6. So let's pray. Father in heaven, you are altogether righteous and and good. You're holy and you're just. You're a God who shows no partiality. And so, Father, with your word open this morning, we ask that you would teach us your Statutes, and may we, like the psalmist, rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. We are your servants, Lord. I pray today that you would give us understanding that we may know your testimonies, and that we would be unashamed to share our own testimonies with those who need to hear. And see you. So, Father, we ask that you would direct our steps. You would open our eyes. That we might see wondrous things found in this word. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. How many of you here would consider yourself righteous? Raise your hand. Got one person that feels like they're righteous this morning? One? No, I'm just asking the question. This is a starter question this morning. One, okay, there's a couple hands going up. you consider yourself righteous this morning. There's another level to the question. And that is, some of you are hesitant, by the way. You're thinking this is a game. This is some kind of trick. So you're hesitant. I could just see it. How many of you here can verbalize or or define in some simple terms what it means to be righteous. In fact, what I'd like for you to do is if you take notes, maybe just for a brief moment, write down in your own words what it is to be righteous. What does that mean? And perhaps what you're writing down is what you know to be true from God's word. I hope that's the case. That'd be wonderful. If you would give some kind of definition that actually comes from God's word. So take just a second. I know some of you are writing. Some of you are thinking. Some of you are processing. Verbalizing, defining in simple terms what it is to be righteous. As you're finishing that exercise. To be righteous is to be the recipient of right-standing, righteousness, right-standing with God through faith in Christ Jesus alone. Alone, Christ alone. The righteous are fully convinced of who God is. That's very important in the world we live in, church. That we understand, we are fully convinced who this God is that we serve. This God who has given to us his word and on many occasions told us who he is. Are we fully convinced of who he is and what he did, both in sending his son Jesus and Do we know what he did in his life and do we know what he did in his death and what that accomplished at the cross? You see, the righteous are deemed so by God himself and are the gracious partakers of Christ's perfect righteousness. Perfect righteousness. Church, there is so many things in the text this morning in this little snippet of verse on the breastplate of righteousness if we but just catch a glimpse of the wonder and the majesty of this righteousness and what it is and what it means for us, I believe we'll walk out of this place today changed because it's glorious news. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Paul, here in the text in Ephesians chapter 6, is closing his letter to the church at Ephesus with a call to put on and take up, take up, remember, with intent to use, take up this whole armor of God. He's communicating a need for the Christian as he navigates in this life. How many of you, as Christians here this morning, need Christ to help you day in, day out in your life? How many? I do, good. And that's really an easy one. I'm hoping that everyone in here says, yes, I need. Because at the point in time you don't declare I need, you are saying, I can do this in my own strength. I can rely on my own righteousness. Church, we cannot, according to the Bible, do that. For to do that, we are forsaking this Perfect righteousness. We are essentially exchanging, as Romans says, the truth of God for a lie. For something that's false. For something that is not even close to the real thing that God has given to us in his perfect righteousness through his son Jesus. We are settling for something at the bottom of the barrel. You know, I believe in many ways we've become a culture that likes to settle for things. Why? Because it's convenient. Because it doesn't take a whole lot of work. We've just settled, perhaps, for carrying the title of being a Christian. This righteousness, this perfect righteousness of Christ has been, the word is, imputed or transferred. I'd just like to look at it in this way, that we have been blessed beyond measure by receiving This perfect righteousness of Christ. It's a joy. So Paul here in Ephesians 6, he's communicating this need to put on the whole armor provided by God. And as we found out last week, God's armor, this is wonderful news. God's armor always fits us. It always fits us. It's always exactly what we need to stand in the battle against the evil one. And last week we addressed the first piece of this armor, which makes up the first part of verse 14. He says, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Today we're going to pick up right where we left off. And it's important that we start at the beginning of the sentence because as the sentence continues, it's really implying this stand therefore with today's piece of armor. Okay, So it would be reading like this. It would be stand therefore having put on the breastplate. Of righteousness. And once again, the sentence continues on into verse 15. But for our purposes today, we'll once again stop. And I'd like to speak to this breastplate of righteousness first by sharing with you what it is. Why it's helpful for us both to walk worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ, what Paul's already talked about in Ephesians 4... And contextually, to stand against the schemes of the evil one. Uh, Secondly, on the back end of this, I'd like to testify to the Lord's goodness and and share a personal awakening uh, that the Lord has uh, been showing me in particular. I, I pray it'll be an encouragement to your soul to walk with the Lord, to walk with the Lord. To see that he has called each of us to something greater than church attendance. Do you realize that? He's called each one of you to something beyond just coming occupying a chair on Sunday morning. He's called us to righteous living. Righteous living in the context of an unrighteous world. We've got a work cut out for us. Righteous living in the midst of a world that is dark. A perverse generation. And yet we're called to live righteously. The breastplate of righteousness. The soldier was... The the serious soldier, that is, the one who took what he was doing seriously. He, He was going to march into battle and he was sure to have his breastplate on. What is this breastplate and what was its purpose? One writer describes it this way He says, The breastplate consisted of a tough, sleeveless piece of armor that covered the full torso. Picture this the full torso. This armor covered the torso. It was often made of leather or heavy linen... ...onto which were sewn overlapping slices of animal hooves or horns or pieces of metal. Some were made of large pieces of metal that were molded or hammered to conform to the body. And the purpose of that piece of the armor, the writer says, is quite obvious... ...to protect the heart, to protect the lungs, the intestines and other vital organs... Stand, therefore, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. You see, this breastplate was held together by what we spoke of last week, that belt of truth. Which was girded firmly around the waist. This piece of armor guarded both sides of the torso. Think about going into battle. If you had to turn around for some reason and you had nothing protecting your back... Right? This torso, this breastplate of righteousness was covering the front and back torso. It was your armor to protect you and protect the vital organs in your body. You know, Paul, as he is speaking in Second Corinthians chapter 6... He's describing his ministry to God. And one of the phrases in there I found interesting. He says, he's listing, this is in a list of many things. But in that list he says that he speaks of this armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. You get this picture that for Paul, the armor of righteousness surrounded him. It was all encompassing him. It was protecting him at all times. So considering that this piece, like the belt of truth, has been given to you by God, how exactly do we put it on? And what entitles us to put this piece of armor on? Well, first of all, we need to remember and understand that each piece of this armor is exclusively reserved for the Christian. It's for the Christian. So to put on the belt of truth and to put on the breastplate of righteousness and the ones we'll get to in the weeks ahead... One must bear the name of Jesus and be a Christian. See, what we're reading about here in the Bible... ...is a spiritual armor provided for the spiritual man. The the natural man does not and cannot... ...put on this armor that's being described in the text. Perhaps this begs a question... ...if one must become a Christian to put on this armor... How does that happen? There's a hymn that I'd like to just describe, maybe if I could, in, in words of a hymn. I believe this hymn writer does a nice job of explaining, at least in part, how that happens. My hope is in the Lord, who gave himself for me and paid the price of all my wa- sin at Calvary. Second stanza No merit of my own, his anger to suppress. I love this line. My only hope is found in Jesus' righteousness. My only hope is found in Jesus' righteousness. Third stanza, and now for me he stands. He's interceding, right? Now for me he stands before the Father's throne. He shows his wounded hands and names me as his own. I'm a child of his. Fourth stanza, his grace has planned it all. By grace you have been saved. His grace is planned at all. Tis mine but to believe. John 1.12 And recognize his work of love. Where did that work of love take place church? At the cross. At the cross. Recognize his work of love. And Christ receive. It's interesting the hymn writer uses the words that John the gospel writer uses. To believe and receive. John chapter 1 verse 12. Church this is wonderful news. The chorus says, for me, he died. For me, he lives. An everlasting life and light, he freely gives. Friends, let's be sure that the breastplate of righteousness being described in the text is not a breastplate of self-righteousness. There is a difference. (laughs) Self-righteousness. You might immediately be drawn to thinking of the Pharisees in the text. Let's be sure that what we're wearing is the armor that God has provided. You know, there's a wonderful illustration in the minor prophet, Zechariah. In Zechariah, chapter 3, the prophet here is providing an illustration of God's righteousness... And it sits in the context of Satan. He's standing by to accuse Joshua, the high priest. You remember this? Which is really reminiscent of what we're talking about in Ephesians 6, this whole idea of spiritual battle. And it says in Zechariah chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, it says, Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. And then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. God removes, God clothes. He removes the filthy garments, praise God, and replaces them with rich robes. Do you recognize a transaction happening? You see, for us as believers in Jesus Christ, the cross is where our wonderful transaction occurred. It's the place where God removed our old man way of living. This receptacle that once showered hospitality to sin has now rendered sin inoperable, having died to sin in Christ. Romans 6 speaks of that. In fact, Corinthians 15, says... ...for as in Adam all die... ...pointing back to Genesis, right? Even so in Christ... ...there's our union with Christ... ...even so in Christ... ...all shall be made alive. The other side of the transaction... ...we see God removing... ...but we see also God clothing us. Church, this is not new information... God began this and showed us a picture of this all the way back in the garden. Do you remember when man sinned? And they tried to sew together what? Fig leaves. To cover themselves. What'd God do? God made them tunics of skin, didn't he? God clothed them. God provided for them. You see, he not only takes upon himself our sins, but he then clothes us with his son's perfect righteousness. And that's why the hymn writer can sing, my only hope is found in Jesus' righteousness. No other righteousness will do, friends. No other one will do. In fact, Isaiah the prophet talks about how filthy, and we just talked about this passage here, where the angel's speaking and Take away his filthy garments. This righteousness that we have is deemed like used rags. Filthy rags. And you know there are many who have tried to operate according to their own righteousness. Many through the years have attempted to put on this righteousness of their own. Even the Apostle Paul, as we read in the the book of Philippians, he, for a time, had relied upon this righteousness which is from the law, didn't he? In chapter 3, he describes that very thing. He's describing his desire to gain Christ, to be found in Jesus Christ, not having a righteousness which is from the law, his own, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. This righteousness, one writer says, is God's gracious initiative in putting sinners right with himself through Christ. One of the terms that typically gets put forward here is this idea of justification, a declaration, a legal verdict, saying, not guilty. Church, we ought to praise him every day that we have a not guilty rendering. Not guilty. He's declared us righteous. We who are sinners, remember we were yet sinners and yet He died for us. We've been declared righteous through Christ, no merit of our own. This is also the righteousness spoken of in in Romans chapter 3 but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets in other words this righteousness of God is a righteousness that didn't just pop up out of the air out of the blue this righteousness was the righteousness spoken of by the prophets in the law in the prophets it's not new news but now it has come as paul speaking in romans 3 even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Many of us know that passage. In essence, it's saying at the foot of the cross, we are equal, brothers and sisters. All of us, we've all sinned. We praise God. We praise God for his goodness in giving to us his righteousness through his Son, Stand therefore, having put on the righteousness, this breastplate of righteousness. And you know, as you think about this whole idea of our standing, our right standing with God. As you consider that for just a moment, and then you look at Ephesians 6, and you consider the call to put on. We cannot truly put on that which God has already graciously given to us. If you think about it for just a moment. When we first trusted Christ as our Savior, we were clothed with the righteousness of God. Just like Abraham. Remember his belief resulted in what? Righteousness. He believed and God accounted it to him. He credited to his accounts righteousness. So if God himself accounted ...for our sins and then clothed us with Jesus' perfect righteousness... ...in what sense then, as we look to Ephesians 6... ...are we to stand and put on this breastplate of righteousness? It seems like as we're called to put on... ...and to take up this whole armor of God... ...there's something yet for us to do. Well, much like what we saw last week... ...as we talked about this belt of truth... I believe the breastplate of righteousness serves a dual role in the life of the Christian. There's what we've just talked about here briefly, this right standing with the Lord idea. uh, Some of the terms being justified, um, this idea of being declared not guilty. Our union with Christ. Our position in the heavenlies, Ephesians 2. We're seated with him. Positionally, we are there with him in Christ. It's just so hard for us to, to fully understand the magnitude of that. But it is true, church. Our standing with him. But I believe the scripture also points in many occasions. And we see several references to this whole idea of moral righteousness. Or as, as one writer put it, maybe this sanctifying righteousness. This idea of operating from the perspective of a moral compass. Now, putting on this breastplate of righteousness. Listen, when we put that on, we are. This is essentially a call to holy living. This is what this is. This breastplate of righteousness is a call for each one of us, young and old, male and female. To live and walk in holiness. The Christian soldier is called to wear the breastplate of righteousness in the context of an unholy world, a persistent flesh, and a scheming evil one. Um, writer said, "Just as it is to cultivate truth, we talked about it last week with the belt. To cultivate truth is to overthrow the devil's deceits. So too, to cultivate righteousness is to resist his temptations. Cultivating righteousness, resisting his temptations. You see, put on the breastplate of righteousness and resist his temptations, friends." The Bible provides a clear picture of Jesus resisting the devil. And some of you, as you read that passage of Scripture, you may be inclined to go, yes, but that's Jesus. He was perfect. Of course he's going to resist. Friends, I'd like to point out, from the perspective of having not sinned, that is a correct statement. We're not like that. Because we have sinned. But I believe that we are too quick to dismiss this piece of armor. I believe that we've forgotten that we maybe have fallen prey to one of the evil one's schemes right here. If you've been clothed with Christ's righteousness, you are, listen to this, you are able to resist the evil one. There's no need to cower and fear when temptation comes. The Bible says in James chapter 4, submit to God, resist the devil. Listen, if the Bible doesn't call you, if it calls you to, it gives a command and imperative, resist the devil. If it gives you those imperatives and commands, church, we must believe that he's going to provide and has supplied the strength and equipped us with everything needed to be able to do just what it's called us to do. Resist the devil and what's he gonna do? Flee. The very next part says draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Isn't that a wonderful promise? You see the key to resisting the devil's temptations is submitting yourself to God. It's this living a, a morally righteous life. It's, it's operating in this world unlike the world. See, we have to operate in this world while we're here. The Bible says we're sojourners, we're pilgrims. We're here for just a short period of time. We're like a a little brief mist. We're a blip on the map of, of eternity. We're here for a while and we're gone. We are to operate not like the world, but unlike the world, because we have Christ in us. And this breastplate of righteousness is going to help us navigate and walk worthy of Christ in the midst of a world that really... Thumbs its nose and forsakes the name of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2 says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Abstain. What is it, church, to abstain? What are we doing when we abstain? What are we doing? We're not doing it at all. We're not doing it at all. Abstain isn't just, oh, if you don't feel like it, or you, it's an option. Abstain. Abstain from fleshly lusts that war against the soul. Resist. Or as Romans 13 says, make no provision for the lusts of the flesh. But instead, what would he put on? The Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, one writer says this about God's imputed Righteousness. And he says that God's imputed righteousness is the basis for our Christian life and our Christian living. I love what he says here. He says, it protects us from hell. Stay with me. Romans 5, 9 bears that mark out. Okay. Paul says in Romans 5, 9, having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him, through Christ. Okay. So, This righteousness, God's imputed righteousness, protects us from hell, but it does not in itself protect us from Satan in this present life. Think about that for just a moment. All the more reason to put on the breastplate of righteousness. When we speak of God's imputed righteousness, we remember what God did to secure our place with Christ in the heavenlies. Positionally we are seated with him being in Christ and that's wonderful news for now and both for the time to come. But you see one of the outflows of being a recipient of God's imputed righteousness is a life. This is so important church. A life that reflects the right standing you've been given as a Christian. I mean, consider how disjointed. How disjointed it is when God imputes his perfect righteousness to his own children. And then watches them live like the world. Watches them live like that old man in the flesh. He watches them walk in accordance to the ways of the evil one. This breastplate of righteousness is not simply a wonderful truth to embrace. But indeed, it involves holy living in your brief stay here as sojourners and pilgrims. Holy living. Gigi Finley, who, an expositor looking at this particular passage of Scripture... I was was drawn to what he had to say here because he brings both of these elements that we're talking about this morning. He brings them together and shows how both of these aspects are right standing with God and are living out this righteous life in the midst of a world that needs to see it. He brings both of these components together and he says the completeness of pardon for past offense and the integrity of character that belong to the justified life They're woven together into, he says, this impenetrable mail or armor. I love that description. It takes both of these aspects of righteousness that we see very clearly in the scriptures. And it shows and points out how when they're woven together, how great of an armor it really is. You see, church, I'm afraid... That we've maybe spent most of our time and energies thinking about solely our right standing with him. There is a world around us that needs to see righteous men, righteous women. They need to see it. Church, would you agree that we have done... More than our fair share of talking about what it is to be a Christian. It is imperative that we take not only this right standing aspect. Hold tightly to it friends. Don't lose it. It's the truth. But connect it. Bring it together with this righteous living that's called for in the scriptures. And when you do. People are going to notice, no doubt. But we don't do it primarily for people. We're doing it primarily because what? We are an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ for our time here on this earth, which is short. And so we get to do what we've really been called to do anyway as he's placed us here for time. To give him glory. To praise his name. The one who has called you out of darkness and has place you into his marvelous light that we might declare the praises of him. Church, that's what we're to be about. This is what it is to live righteously. Well, the Bible gives us many and we don't have time this morning to go through all of them. But there are some examples we'll get to here in just a moment of what it is to live righteously. We need to understand, living a righteous life does not happen automatically. It doesn't happen automatically. Some of us need to be awakened to that. There is work to do. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that we are to work out our salvation as God is working in us. Church, the problem is not God not working. The problem is us not working. We need to work out our salvation and to do it with fear and trembling. Understanding we do this for a mighty God. A righteous life desires holiness right now. Right now. Young people, holy living right now. Right now. Not waiting until you're 21, 25, You know, here's the tendency in today's culture, and and this is not a surprise, this is pretty easy to observe in our culture around us. The pattern is, young people kind of do their own thing. They kind of, it's the the prolonged adolescence. (laughs) And you see these young people today, 25 up to 30, maybe even older than 30, still acting like a young child. Still doing the things of a young child. I believe the Bible says that when we're a child, we, we, we thought like a child. But as we get older, I don't believe we're called to be thinking like a child. We are, we are called to, the Bible says, maturity in Christ. And so, children, if you're old enough to read this word, And some of you children have Christ in you. You have the Spirit of Christ in you. The same Holy Spirit in you as the same Holy Spirit in your dad or mom if they are in Christ. Same Holy Spirit, same same power. Do you desire to live a righteous life? Or are you content simply coming into the building? This goes for everybody, not just children. Are we content just walking in the doors? He's called us to so much more. And he's given us so much more. You know the unsearchable riches in Ephesians 1. He's given us all of these riches. And church, I'm afraid we've treated and profaned it in such a way. It makes me wonder what he thinks about his church. I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about the church. A righteous life desires holiness right now living this set-apart life unto the Lord, manifesting the fruit of the Spirit with regularity, regularity, consistently, drinking deeply from the well of God's Word. A righteous life, church, listen, it affects the tongue. What comes out of your mouth? He hates lying. Did you know the Word says that? He abominates lying lips. If you're practicing lying, if you're exercising lying, know that God hates it. It's far from righteous living. A righteous life affects our actions, what we do. A righteous life affects entire nations. The Bible says that righteousness exalts a what? Nation. It exalts a nation. A righteous life affects our thoughts. A righteous life affects the hearts. And for here, I just want to stop for just a moment. Proverbs 4.23, a well-known passage of Scripture says to keep or guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. And remember that as we put on this breastplate of righteousness, it serves as a protective cover for my heart. You see, the enemy is after your heart. In a few weeks, we'll get to the mind as we put the helmet of salvation on. Today, I'd just like to talk briefly about this heart. The breastplate is God's remedy for guarding it, church. The the, the heart is the control center of life. And the Christian's heart is to be wholeheartedly given to the Lord. Just a few passages speak to this idea. Love the Lord with all your what? With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Jesus includes all your mind. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. The Bible says in, in Romans that it's with the heart one believes unto righteousness. First Peter, he says, sanctify the Lord God. Where? Where are we to sanctify him? With our tongue and say we're a Christian? Is that it? We sanctify the Lord Christ where? In our hearts. In our hearts. Why? For what purpose? We're to always be ready, aren't we? To give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. And we do this with meekness and fear. We do it in the right way, with the right temperament. Church, when's the last time someone has asked you about the hope that you have? If you can't remember, perhaps we need to go back to the drawing board on what it is to live righteously. Because if we're living righteously in this dark world, light's going to show up, church. Light's going to show up. Perhaps we need to go before the Lord and do what the psalmist did in Psalm 139 and ask, Lord... Examine me, examine my heart, know my ways, see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me, Lord, in the way everlasting. Are we asking of the Lord? I'll step a little closer. Are we afraid to ask of the Lord that question? For fear of what he might see, what others might see. How many professing Christians have given their hearts over to something or someone else other than the Lord? A few months back, we read the passage from 2 Chronicles 16, 9. And you might remember that. hanani the prophet is speaking and he says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Picture this. Eyes of the Lord running to and fro throughout the whole earth. Why? For what purpose? To show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. He's looking for loyal hearts. God's seeking hearts loyal to him. That he might show himself strong in their lives. And you you know, you've heard it asked before on many different occasions... In particular, the context is Proverbs 23, 26. You probably know twenty three twenty six. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. And there's questions that, that circulate about do you have the hearts of your sons and daughters? There seems to be a whole lot of talking about fathers having the hearts of their children. And while that's important, I believe the emphasis is a bit skewed as I've seen some of these passages of scripture. Does the heavenly father have the hearts of the earthly fathers and mothers? Dads and moms. Dads in particular. We we want and desire the hearts of our children. Does the heavenly father have our hearts? I can't answer that for you. But I believe it's a good question to ask. See, calling for the hearts of your sons and daughters, it involves allowing them an inside look at your ways. And that's where righteous living comes into play. You see, your ways are being watched and observed, especially as your children get older. They're watching. They're not just listening. Lord willing, they're listening. But they're not just listening, they're watching, they're observing. If today, hearts could be revealed, if we could just open the chambers of the heart and be able to see. If we could play the tape of your life over this past week or this past month, past couple months. What would the Lord see? Would you really want your children observing your ways? How would you describe your ways, in fact, of late? Would you use the word righteous, upright, set apart, holy, steadfast, wholeheartedness toward the Lord? Keep your hearts, friends. And God has given to you an armor that's complete, an armor that includes this breastplate of righteousness, and it will guard your heart in Christ Jesus. And we see some, just some, I'm gonna give you just a couple quick examples. There are a couple examples. There are many. As we think about guarding the heart. Why guard the heart? There's a, there's a need to guard the heart from intimacy's sake. All you need to do, you read Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 on your own time. And you can see the dangers there when your heart is not where it should be. When you give your heart room to, and give your feet, we'll talk about this too. Room to roam and go where they ought not be going. Opens the door. Opens the door. The adulterous woman. Pornography. There's also a heart for the world. There are many things in this world no doubt we could talk about. Things that are steering our hearts away. There's a heart for riches. Money in and of itself is not evil, church. It's the love of it. It's the exalting of it. Put on the breastplate of righteousness and stand against the schemes of the evil one as he endeavors to win your heart. Righteous living equates to thwarting the evil one's plans. We put this breastplate of righteousness on because we have a real enemy who desires to have our heart. Isn't it interesting that this enemy who desires to have your heart We are a Christian. We are a Christ follower. And Christ also desires wholehearted allegiance. The question comes, who then are you going to serve? Who are you going to serve? Are you going to be a slave? Romans, Romans 6, 7, right in there, 5, 6, and 7. A slave to sin, like the old man was. Or are these members now going to be a slave to obedience? And result in Righteousness. Righteous kind of living. See the things that he desires you to do. The evil one that is. Praise God when you have no appetite for those things anymore. You have no appetite for them. Because of what the Bible calls this sanctifying work that he's doing in you. The Lord drawing you away from the pleasures of sin that you once enjoyed. And drawing you near to the things now that please him. Putting on the breastplate of righteousness is something that we exercise regularly. If you will, turn in your Bible to 1 John. I want to just read a few passages of scripture. We're we're just about done. But I'd like you to look at some of these passages of scripture with me. They're all right here in 1 John. I believe these are helpful as we consider what it is to live righteously. 1 John chapter 2, the last verse of chapter 2. If you know that he is righteous, that's God, Lord If you know that he's righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. I want you to think about that phrase for just a moment. Practicing righteousness. Practicing. You know, there are many today who do not like to practice. A lot of young people today, they like the instant stuff. And even in the realm of of athletics... See this show up time and time again where young people, they want to just play the game. They want to go out and they want to do it. They don't desire to practice, to hone their skills. I think, church, that we've been called to practice righteousness. Practice it, exercise it in our daily living. First John chapter 3. Verse 2 and 3. He says, Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. Praise God. For we shall see him as he is. Won't that be a wonderful thing? In the meantime, verse 3. Everyone who has this hope of being with him, seeing him. Purifies himself just as he is pure. See, this this breastplate of righteousness is a call to holy living. And as we long and look for the day in which Christ Jesus returns, the Bible says here that we are to be about, everyone who has that hope of Christ returning, everyone now in the interim is to be about purifying himself or herself. Why? It's just what Peter said. Be holy because I am holy, God said. We are to be found purifying ourselves in the interim. Are you purifying yourselves, church? Are you practicing righteousness? Are you exercising this? Look at 1 John 3, verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as He is righteous. Let's not be deceived here. This phrase, let no one deceive you. We've seen that pop up a few times in the scriptures. Oh, there are some who would try to deceive you and throw you off track on this. And John says, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous. Just as he's righteous. And if you keep reading verse 10, look at this. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Oh, he's, he's, putting, he's, he's putting sides here, if you will. He's painting a picture of the child of the devil and child of the, a child of God. Here, here it is, listen. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. This righteous living church. We could, we could, we could summarize and, and look at you know, Colossians chapter 3. Gives us a whole slew of things that we could consider when we think about righteous living. As the elect, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. Even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on what? Love. Love. Right. Put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Let the word of Christ dwell in you, verse 16. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. That covers it all, doesn't it? Whatever you do, do it all in the name. Ephesians chapter 4 calls us to walk worthy of the Lord. Ephesians 4, 23 and 24 says that we're to be renewed in the spirit of our mind that you put on the new man which was created according to God. In what way? In true righteousness and holiness. There it is. In righteousness and holiness. The new man. That's, the new man was created by God in that way. It's intended for that purpose. That kind of living. Ephesians 5 says that we're to walk in love. We're to walk in light. We're to walk in wisdom. The Bible is filled with, and I hope that you took time to read Proverbs 10, 11, and 12 this week. In 10, 11, 12, you can get lost in Proverbs 10, 11, 12 and find that word righteous, righteousness. In the Proverbs, righteousness is contrasted with what? The wicked, right? The righteous and the wicked, the righteous and the wicked. The just and the unjust. It's, it's all over the place in the Proverbs, especially those 10, 11, and 12. It's hard to miss it. So the Bible gives us several pictures of what this righteous living is to look like. We're not left in the dark, in other words, on what it is to walk righteously, to live righteously. Praise God for that. He's given to us instruction, He's given to us His Word how to do this. You know, I'd like to just share a brief testimony and word to this of what God's doing. And you know, for a time there was there was always this understanding that that the Lord through the Spirit would would prompt me or guide me in in some Uh, some way with someone about sharing things of the Lord. And I think for quite some time I had unintentionally bought the lie that I was going to experience, listen to this, I was going to experience some kind of feeling. Some kind of feeling that was going to notify me of when to open my mouth and engage another person with the good news message of Jesus. And if I didn't have this feeling, then I just simply wouldn't share. Friends, if you've been waiting to experience some level of feeling before witnessing to others, before living out this righteous life that we've talked about, you too perhaps have bought the lie You see, God's word says that he has equipped you with everything you need for godly living. Opportunities abound if we are practicing righteousness. The Lord has poured out many open doors for us to witness. Unfortunately, many are still waiting for some kind of signal before proceeding. He's already, listen, he's already given to you his spirit. If you have the spirit in you, he's already given to you his Holy Spirit to empower you for the work. Walk in what he's already provided you. Trusting by faith that he will operate in you and that he will provide you with words that need to be spoken. You see, that's one of the roles and ministries of the Holy Spirit. You might not know what you're going to say. But the Holy Spirit is the one who intercedes for you. Not only helping you in what to pray, but he also helps you, I believe, and gives you words to speak. Words that are always going to point to Christ. Words that are always going to help others be edified, not torn down. See, righteous living contrasted with this Wicked kind of living in the proverbs there's no there's no middle ground I, some of us I think believe that there's a neutral ground. we don't really desire a righteous life because that's hard work it's, it's, it's difficult I, I don't know't we, really we don't want to be considered wicked either because that wouldn't be good for someone who you know goes to church to be considered wicked. so where do we stand? are we trying to Manufacture our own gray area to stand. As we walk, we're, we're then confronted with righteous living and wickedness. As we walk, we're confronted with these two realities. And so the question, you know, how are you walking today? How would you describe your own walk relationship with the Lord? With the one whom you profess to have a relationship with? Listen, this past weekend, the Lord gave me 75 people. 75 people. I was at a basketball referee camp this weekend in Ohio, up near Cleveland, Akron. And there were 76 campers. And I was just reminded and impressed this at the end of the weekend. And I don't know if the Lord did this in such a way to really capture my attention at the end of camp, but he got my attention. There were 75 other guys there to... Witness to, to live righteously before them. I had an opportunity after the last game last night. This gentleman that I just met yesterday—I didn't know him until yesterday afternoon. We kind of talked, introduced ourselves. He shared. He 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 seemed to just like to talk, and and he was talking about different things. And um, this big man—I mean, he's about six six, big, huge guy. He lives in. Uh, over in Pennsylvania. And as we were talking about things, we we ended up going our separate ways for a time and and after our last game we both came back together and we were we were finishing up, we were getting cleaned up and I was getting cleaned up before I was heading back down the road. And the Lord brought us together in the locker room and we were talking about some different things and he was sharing about his family and we got to talking and was able to share with him some things about the Lord. I, I gathered that he was a church attender. A regular church attender in fact and we talked and we talked and we had some rich conversation. And after we got cleaned up, before I walked out of that locker room. I said, Darren, I said, I, I'd just like to pray for you. He's got a seven-year-old son. He's got a four-year-old daughter. And I could tell you loved them both. And I just wanted to encourage him as a dad. I wanted to encourage him as a father. I wanted him to love his wife. I wanted him to love his children. I wanted him to take full opportunity and advantage of the life that he's been given. And to understand, I talked to him about how even in our own home, we we view each of the children through through a lens, through a window. And the Lord over time closes that window that they're with us. And so therefore take advantage of the opportunity that God's given you. Because you are not guaranteed another day. Talking to him about the importance of a relationship with Jesus Christ and how important it is. He made the comment, church, about how many of these assigners over officials are, they, they talk about their faith. And the one that I went to this past weekend pointed and he said, faith, family, work, and then basketball. And there's a part of that that I appreciate and I like. It's, it's nice to hear. However, it's this whole element of what we're talking about this morning that I think comes into play. Are we simply relying upon this righteous standing and not really concerned or worried with what that translates to right here and right now and how we live this righteousness out before others to see? See, we can talk about faith. Oh, that's an important thing. Or, or the word that's used oftentimes in the circle I'm in is religious. <laughs> He's a religious. Oh, boy. I, I, what? Okay. If you think that I, that's what it is. But that's not what I would deem it. It's called a Relationship. We have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and there's something real, needs to be real. And so after that prayer, the Lord gave me words, church. I didn't know, I didn't plan on praying with the guy. It just happened. The Lord did this. And the Lord gave me words to speak and to pray over him. And when we're done, we got done. And this man, this big, huge mountain of a man, he's got tears in his eyes when we're all done. He shakes my hand and he gives me this big hug. I about got swallowed. And I left that night and I was reminded of the most important thing that happened in my weekend and I told my wife this on the way home. I was talking. I, was, uh, I enjoyed the refereeing the basketball part but perhaps the Lord had me there to meet with that one man. I have no idea what's going to happen with that. I got his email and Lord Willing we'll be able to stay in touch. I praise God for that encounter. It was a God encounter. I share it with you church as a testimony just to be able to not not please not to do this but to simply put forward an example of something that just of late happened where God used something that just walking by faith going through the door I didn't plan it. I didn't have a script. I simply want to be able to live for the Lord. And I believe he's called each one of you in Christ to do the very same thing. To look for opportunities. To be Christ. You know, I found out right before I left, there was another guy who who was a Christian. Told me. And I thought, you know, it got me wondering. Out of these 75 other campers, How many of them are are really Christians? And church, let me ask this question. Should it be hard to point out and figure out which ones are Christians? Why is it that we suppress who we are in Christ?
1: We're afraid, I think.
2: But if we come to understand what the word says, our righteous standing Understanding our righteous standing in Christ ought to be the power that catapults us to righteous living. When we understand what this right standing with God through Jesus Christ is all about, there's nothing that's going to keep us, church, from being able to share and be light and be salt and talk to people and actually tell them what we do. Yeah, that's one of the great things about my our conversations. Always comes up. They ask, "What do I do?" Well, open door. I get an opportunity to preach the word, and all the, I can see it on so many of their faces. Oh, I'm talking to a preacher. I see it. I don't even have to verbalize it. I see it. But it's important. It's important because it does then provide an opportunity to speak to it. You might not be a preacher. You might work with computers. You might do internet security. You might work in a place that deals with computers. You might work with Marines. Doesn't matter, we can go across the board. The Lord has planted you to be in those places to reach the people that are in those places. Look for them. I believe, church. If you are looking for them and have your antenna up to what the Lord might want to do in and through you. There's not a shortage of doors he's opening. Are we going to be ready? Are we going to be willing to not just depend on this right standing with God through Jesus Christ. But are we going to take that, couple it together with this righteous living that we see in the scripture. And those two coupled together, putting on this breastplate of righteousness. That is a powerful witness in the midst of a world that needs to see Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunities that you give. And Father, I ask your forgiveness for all the opportunities that I've just flat out blown that I've missed. And Father, while I can't go back and push rewind and do it all over again, I do pray that from this day forward, Father, help me to take full advantage of all of the opportunities before me. Help me to see with spiritual eyes, Lord, these people that need the Lord Jesus Christ. Help me, Lord, to be able to use my tongue as you would desire for me to use my tongue. I pray, Father, for this church. This church would not settle for mediocrity, for half-heartedness. The Father would have two feet in, would have this breastplate of righteousness on, and would bring together these ideas of of the joy of their righteous standing that they have in Christ and couple it together with the righteous living that's called for in the scriptures and father as we do that i believe that your church will grow your church will be strengthened your church will be encouraged your church will do what it's intended to do it will be that city on a hill it will shine brightly and people will see it and when they see it they're not going to go oh what do we need they're going to praise you Father, that's the hope and that's the goal that they see you, that they praise you, that they themselves walk with you righteously. We praise you for your word today. Father, thank you for the spirit of Christ working in us. And I pray, Father, that we would walk, beginning today perhaps, walk worthy of this calling that you've given to us in Christ Jesus. We praise you and we thank you for Jesus Christ the righteous. It's in his name we pray. Amen.